I stopped by to see Eric's parents this morning. How are they? They're scared, Clark. Were were you ever scared of me? Well, you threw a few tincture tantrums when you were little. We had some holes in the wall, but nah. You were a good kid, Clark. I don't think Eric's a bad kid. Neither do I. He's just a teenager who's in over his head, that's all. You know, when this first happened, I was kind of freaked out. Now I'm kind of enjoying it. I played basketball for the first time without worrying if I'd hurt anyone. I can be around Lana without her necklace making me feel sick. Even that's better than being around the Meteor Rocks any day of the week. Somebody save me indeed. Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fan cast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior. Please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at Farm2Fable and join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Waldschlager. I am a member of the Redemption Podcast, a Star Wars actual play. I uh, was also a member of the RPG Academy for quite a long time, a good friend of Michael. And uh, I was also present to do episode four of this show, uh, which was done for the Smallville episode X-Ray. I'm looking forward to breaking down the episode Leech. Well, Michael... Welcome back. Let me be the first to re-welcome you to Smallville. Uh, and you're still a part of the Academy in, in whatever ways it exists now. Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, but happy to have you back with us again. Um, we, we want to try to have a variety of guest co-hosts, but we did set it up where we could have the same co-host at least twice in the same season, as long as it was first half, back half. And I believe you are our first returning co-host. So thank you very much for that. Always setting records. That's right. First in, last out, something like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, but we have a pass the torch question, mm-hmm. and our previous co-host was Miriam, and they asked, how would your particular version of Red Kryptonite affect you? Uh gave this a little bit of thought. I actually bounced this one off my wife, uh, who was familiar with Smallville as well. And when I asked her this question, she said, oh, it would totally make you like a, a gigolo pro bono. <laughs> And I had to laugh because I was like, not only did that rhyme, but uh, I thought about it for a little bit. I was like, it probably would because I am kind of a, I am a flirtatious person by nature. I'm kind of an affectionate person. Uh, but if Red Kryptonite brings out the worst be- aspects of you, that would certainly make that ten times worse. Um, I think it would also kind of make me more of a, a a jerk. I can be sarcastic and kind of I can be ribbing with people, uh, especially people I am friends with. But I think Red Kryptonite would really turn me kind of into a real, like, pain in the ass to be around. Um, and that's assuming that people I'm already around don't think I'm a pain in the ass. So <laughs> I think I think that's how Red Kryptonite would affect me. What about you? 
All right. So first, pro bono gigolo should definitely be someone's Twitter handle. If it's not, someone needs to jump on and claim that right now. Well, don't say it here. I mean, <laughs> let's we can talk about that off off uh, off mic, right? But uh, but let's not uh, you know yeah. let's not put that out in the out in the wild. So, but this is a this is like a big question to ask. And and Smallville, I think they're even kind of inconsistent with how Red Kryptonite affects Clark. It it oh, seems like it kind of Smallville's breaks the- <laughs> inconsistent with something. Wait, what? <laughs> it, it seems like it breaks the in through the inhibitions, and you know, it's it's it supposes that these are things that Clark already feels and wants to do partly, but doesn't do because of his conscious. So you know, is this just my innermost inhibitions? coming out or is it like you said the worst aspects of my personality that are already there but they're given freedom because i I think those are two slightly different variations yeah i think you think you're right i mean i always kind of felt like red kryptonite was more uh, i didn't want to say i don't want to say like it's as if you know you're drunk or as if you're like you're suddenly uninhibited but it's it seems like the the red kryptonite in the way they show it tends to amplify the bad things about you like it, it flips you. It, it's like almost the polar opposite of how you are in your daily life. Right. Um, yeah. And it's safe to say that all those things exist in everybody. It's just, it's your nature and the rules of society and all those other things that keep those pieces in check. Your common sense, like your own personal dignity, right. Or your, your personal mm-hmm. code of morals and ethics it keeps all that, all that stuff in check. That's buried within everybody. Right. No, I, I agree. I th- and I think looking at it both ways very quickly, if it was more of the you're drunk, you're not as in, in, inhibited, inhibited, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, lucky free, uh, what was it happy, happy go, go lucky guy, happy go lucky. So I would probably speak better. I would know more words and I would be very boring. I like sit around like putting business plans together, maybe trying to figure out, you know, uh, algebra just for fun. But if it were to amplify the negative aspects of my culture, See, of my- I, I got to say, like that particular, like if if we're talking about the first definition here that you went through, I really don't think that's how you would end up on Red Kryptonite because Red <laughs> Kryptonite is always like it's used for dramatic purposes, right? It's not to make someone like it's not like like medication for uh, you know adult attention de- deficit disorder. It's yeah. not trying to narrow your focus. <laughs> it makes you a worse person. So let's go with how would it make you worse? So a worse person. Um, I, so I was talking to someone about this the other day. Is like I try really hard to be positive. Like it's just it's something I work towards. But there are a lot of negative feelings that I have. I just keep them contained. So similar to what you said, like if I were to just release my true feelings, I would be awful to people. I would be sarcastic and cutting. Uh, I would just you couldn't say hello without me just finding a way to to rip you apart with that. Uh, so I tell people like, I try to stay away from being negative the same way Bruce Banner tries to, tries to avoid fights because I have a Hulk level interior rage that I contain by conscious will about not trying to be a sarcastic D bag. So I would be a giant sarcastic D bag. So effectively like this, this, your force of will is what keeps you from being a real ass. Yes. Okay. <laughs> your, the sheer power of your own will. Yes. I love that. Absolutely. I love that. All right. Uh, so with that out of the way, let's open the Smallville yearbook and see who our notable guest stars are. Hey, Clark. 
Booker came to check up on you. Kelly Brook returns for her final episode as Victoria Hardwick. Kevin McNulty appears as Mr. Summers. Sarah Jane Redman appears for her seventh time as Nell Potter. And Sean Ashmore appears as Eric Summers. Now, on your first episode, I believe we talked about this because there was a question about casting. And I believe you were the one who brought up the Ashmore brothers. Yes. And how they they fall into a bunch of different genre shows. And so here we are having you back for the first Ashmore, but not the last Ashmore brother in Smallville. It may have been that I picked this episode because of <laughs> the fact that there was an Ashmore brother in it. Uh, that and again, I like I tend to like the episodes where. Uh, Clark either learns a new power or something affects him in a way that makes him have to be normal or mortal for a while, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Just more because I love the way those experiences play out. So, yeah, uh, definitely there's an Ashmore in this one. I'm here for it. So as far as guest stars, we also have P. Lynn Johnson as Miss Summers, William Samples as Sir Harry Hardwick, Tom O'Brien returns as Roger Nixon, and Will Sanderson as Brent and Ashley Presidente as Holly. So we actually had quite a few of guest stars this week that had uh, meaty enough roles that I felt they were worth a mention, more so than usual. Mm. So with that out of the way, it's now time to grab a copy of this week's Daily Planet and check the bylines for who brought us this episode. I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet. So this is Season 1, Episode 12, Leech. The date of original airing was February 12th, 2002. The character of Superman was created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster, and Smallville was created by Alfred Goff and Miles Miller. The writer for this episode was Tim Schlattman. My apologies to the Schlattman clan. Uh, this is his only writing credit on Smallville. His other writing credits include episodes of Dexter and Under the Dome. Greg Beeman directed this episode, and he has extensive producing credits on over 100 Smallville episodes and 18 directing credits on Smallville itself, including the episode Hothead, which we've covered in the past, this episode, and part two of the series finale. Several of his directed episodes are some of the highest rated episodes, including Reckoning, which is his highest rated at 9.5 per IMDb.com ratings. Yeah, when I was going through there, like almost every one of his episodes were like 8, 7 and higher. And many of them were nine three, nine four, nine five. So he has done some really good classic Smallville episodes. I would say this one may not rate that high. Not as nine point five, but it was rated fairly high. Was it okay? Yeah, I think it's like high eight. You know, on my third watch of this one, I kept I, I noticed a number of things, and we'll get into them. Uh, mm -hmm. Things that I was kind of like, really, oh, really. True, but I will say that. But there's definitely some things about this episode that, that I think of as quintessential Smallville style, and we'll get into those shortly. All right. All right. So, Michael, are you ready to explore the Kawachi Caves to get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we are going? Let's go spelunking. Clark and classmate Eric Summer are both struck by lightning while Eric is holding kryptonite, and Clark's powers are transferred to Eric. While Clark experiences normal humanity, the emotionally challenged Eric goes on a rampage. And that's all well and good, but it doesn't really tell us what we need to know. So let's dig a little deeper into these caves and ask the important questions. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? Yes, uh, a number of them. Does this episode feature someone falling unconscious for any reason? Why, yes. Does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed? Clark himself, though it was an exam room, technically. Does this episode feature a table being destroyed? Oh, many tables. <laughs> 
Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crush Lana his powers or abilities? I wouldn't say so. No, I don't think so. We we will find out later that Leech has learned or come to learn that Clark was the source of his abilities, but in this episode of themselves, I would say no. Wait, are you saying that the character comes back? Yes, they come back. Uh, does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly? No, no, not Clark. Not Clark. Clark's powers, not Clark. Uh, does Clark casually break and enter a business or residence? Uh, surprisingly, no. Does this episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave? At least once. Does this episode feature a conversation between two people where one person has their back to the other and is weirdly talking over their shoulder? Yes. Was the person talking weirdly over their shoulder Lex? Yes. Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters? Yes. More cameraman than character, but there's definitely some thirsty shots in this episode. There are a couple of cheesecake shots for sure. Yes. Does this episode feature a cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the wider Superman mythos? Oh, yes. Does this episode feature a moment with a needle drop wherein a contemporary song perfectly sums up a character's thoughts or desires? I will say, yes, there are a number of these uh, in this particular episode. And finally, does this episode feature a classic Smallville leap of logic wherein the characters jump to a correct conclusion about who or what is behind some mysterious event with little to no actual information to base such conclusions? Yes. 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 All right. Excellent. So now that we have a clear roadmap of where we're going, let's use our x-ray vision and look closely at this week's episode. So in our cold open, while on a school geology field trip, Eric Summers nearly falls from a dam. Clark saves him, but due to lightning and kryptonite, Clark seems to lose his abilities. So in the cold opening, we don't yet know they're transferred. All we see is that Clark's, basically his hand seems to feel the effects of fire when he's trying to put out the little smoldering section on Eric's jacket. Yeah, there's a couple of, of things about the cold open that uh, struck me as a little bit funny. Um, okay. The first one I'll say uh, myself is that, one, um, you know, there's a storm. There's some foreshadowing there. I noticed that you mentioned that as well in your notes. Um, so, oh, ooh, a storm. That that couldn't mean anything bad at all. Yeah, there's a storm coming. I want to be gone before it gets here. Guarantees they will, in fact, not be gone yeah, before it gets you, here. We are going to see the storm in action. Um, two, uh, one of the things that popped up is, uh, you know, our friend Pete is Clark's partner for this geology trip. And then Pete and Clark talk about how they're missing two rocks, uh, some kind of geode, a rose geode, I think. Rose, rose quartz. quartz. Yeah. And then meteor rock. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's the one rock that would be the easiest for them to find wherever it is, right? Like, yeah. literally, if if this whole class is looking for meteor rocks, then guess what? Clark's going to be the first one to find one. Shouldn't even be on the list. He should already be, like, dying because if yeah. everyone around him is carrying meteor rock – which goes back to my my belief that he really is never affected until he sees it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, and uh, and one of the things that popped up again early in this episode is, you know, they're looking for the meteor rock, and of course Lana walks up, and every time Lana walks up, her necklace, you know, he gets his little green uh, bloodlines in his hands, but then also her necklace glows green. And if everyone in this place is looking for meteor rock, wouldn't all the meteor rock around here be glowing green and be super easy to find? Yes. So, so that brings up a question, and this is a maybe a you know a rhetorical question, but every time we see kryptonite with Clark around, it does glow green. 
But is that just something that for the audience or is that actually happening in world? Yeah, and it makes it sometimes it makes an audible cue. Like it makes that little yeah. high like ee- noise. Yes. Like so suddenly does her necklace glow and start making a humming noise whenever she's around Clark? <laughs> and if so, no one's ever noticed it. Right. Because this, I think it's in the pilot. It's in the first couple episodes because I know we talked about it at the time. But after Clark is as um, uh, strung up in the field as the scarecrow and Lex saves him, the necklace falls off. And then we have a shot of Lex holding the necklace up in the mansion. And he's looking at it like through um, a stained glass window, like through a light. And I took that to mean that he was trying to see that same glow that he's seen before, which makes me think that in the in the world of the show, kryptonite really does glow brighter green when exposed to a Kryptonian's you know aura or whatever. But if that's true, then that opens up so many questions: is why the blink the blink does no one notice that yeah, all right? these rocks are glowing green all the time around Clark? <laughs> around Clark, Clark comes near a green rock and it like lights up like a Christmas tree, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's weird." Uh, oh. Those green rocks don't normally glow. Oh, that's weird. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, again, I, I think maybe you're right. Maybe it is just a visual and audio cue for the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but they certainly, and as we, as you dive deeper into the show and they get more and more exposure and there's more and more amounts of meteor rock. I mean, there's certainly a number of times where Clark walks into a room full of this stuff or gets exposed to a large amount of it. And the glow is ridiculous. Like yes. it's literally light, lighting up rooms. So people have to notice if that's really happening, they have to notice. They have, you to would notice. think so. Also, I took a couple notes about the uh, special effects going cheap this time. Yeah. So we get, we get an x-ray vision. That's just a sound effect. And later we see, or we, we hear him zoom off. But we never actually see the zoom effect. So it, twice in the cold open, they just use audio cues mm-hmm. instead of any other special effects. So they were, so somewhere in the show, they, they spent a lot of money. It was not on those two effects. No, it wasn't. It was not. Uh, I have a feeling it was on one of the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a lot of paper mache that gets broken. I don't know. <laughs> they flipped a couple of vehicles. That's you know. true, but I did. Was there really a car in the house, or was that like a matte painting or something? Uh, I, I don't know. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. But we meet. Uh, well, first, actually, the other note I had. I'll, I'll go back to your notes as well. Is there's a moment where Clark's about to punch through the earth to get that rose quartz, but he stops and he looks around and makes sure that no one is watching. Our little Superman is growing up and not oh, using sure. his power so irresponsibly. For sure. Uh, once in a while, he thinks about like the fact that. You know, for him, this is normal. For everyone else, it would cause them to freak out, which also, again, is a theme in this episode. So, Yes. Yeah. So did you have any other uh, comments on our cold open? Yeah. Uh, I would like to say that uh, two things – two other things stood out. One, we're first introduced to Mr. Summers, Eric's father, who is the teacher of the of the science class that they're – the geology field trip they're on. He's the hmm. teacher. But he's also a giant prick. Like yes. he is – in his first appearance, they take no time at all in establishing that this is maybe the worst teacher you would ever – like the one class you would hate going to at school because this guy seems to be a real just knob. He's horrible. Which has to suck because I actually would really have liked – because I never got to go on a geology field trip in oh, high school. Yeah. I, would have, I would have liked to go hang out in the woods right. for a couple hours and finding rocks. That would be cool. Right. And, it, and it kind of plays into a note you have here because you know you mentioned the lonely loser and the – the jock girlfriend, the jock and the girlfriend, like that whole little love triangle that comes up in so many of these teen shows. Mm. But then the, when you're introduced to Mr. Summers, 
or Mr. Summer, you get basically his, you know, son's just been rebuffed by the jock. And then dad comes up behind him and basically just makes it worse by basically by saying, oh, you only got four rocks. Uh, you know, get your act together. You right. Know, chump. And then they cut to the bus where Eric is missing. And then he even treats him like crap around his students. Like he talks about his son in front of his son's, you know, classmates as if his son is a giant, like just waste of space. Yes. That's the way he refers to him. And I just felt bad for this kid. And I think it's supposed to set up kind of the way you feel about him in most of the episode. Um, you know, you're setting up with a kid who's already got some at home problems, relationship problems with his parents. Things are bad. Uh, how his life shapes how he takes this gift he's given. Right. And I, this is actually one of my biggest takeaways is I kind of wish this had been like a three episode arc. Cause there is so much meat to this story and the idea of, you know, Clark and how he feels about these powers and how he uses them and how he doesn't and how much that makes Clark the hero that he is versus what if this is a, what if story. It totally what if someone a... else that didn't have the Ma and Pa Kent parentage, didn't have his same values. How would they react if they suddenly had the powers of a God? And as we see, not well. So there was a, a movie that came out a couple of years ago, uh, even I think just last year. Uh, and it was basically this same premise, which was like a what if story. What if Superman grew up with a family that was kind of abusive and didn't raise him to be the person that he is, the upstanding moral person that he is. And how that person, how that kid would turn out. It was called Brightburn. And like, again, it's that same type of, you know, they get to this lesson uh, in act one very clearly as well. So maybe we'll wait till we get to that to talk in depth about it. But yeah. it definitely, it's the whole like, you know, nature versus nurture, right? Yep. And I just, I, I would have liked to have seen more oh. of this. There, there's The episode went by really fast, but I, I actually, I like this episode, but I, it could have been more. There were, there were yeah, like several had things that happened that were good. They had a lot. They really could have pulled some of this out if they wanted to make it like at least a two episode, like a, you know, this actually would have been a great finale to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Like a season se like finale a season series finale. or season uh, starts next episode or next season. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we get our first needle drop. So fade by stained is playing as Eric is on top of the dam. Uh, just this is just before the lightning strike and the power switcheroo. Some of the notable lyrics I pulled from this song is I I only know that I can change. Everything else stays the same, which is exactly kind of what's going to happen. And then my last note here is what exactly are the transitive properties of green kryptonite? Because lightning near green kryptonite equal power transference. Well, again, like. There's a number of things that happen through the course of Smallville. Green Kryptonite apparently has a number of like different things that can impact its ability to function. Obviously, you've got its poisonous powers on Kryptonians, but then uh, you know again they use it in all kinds of experiments. They and the first and second season are rife with this stuff, you know, especially and then as they get into later seasons, you have large amounts of it causing you know major issues. But yeah, uh, it seems as though like they've learned something about Green Kryptonite that they could use in the future. Like, so, you know, I don't want to give away future plot lines. So let's simply say there are a number of times in the play, in the history of Smallville, the show where just this simple ability to transfer power with electricity and a piece of green kryptonite 
could have changed the paradigm for a number of characters uh, in their span of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. and some of them may even still be alive by the end of the series if they had thought about this at the time. Yep. And there are also moments where this does happen again. There are yeah. multiple times where kryptonite and um, lightning create. I believe, and I was trying to think about it when we were going through this, I think this is the first episode where they deal with total power loss. Where he's, uh, yeah. he is made mortal or made you know, human, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. You know, in some cases he loses certain abilities, but not necessarily all of them, or they are weakened. But this is the first time in the in the show that they've actually pulled his abilities away from him and made him just like a regular dude. And if you think about it, it happened pretty early too for mm-hmm, a for mm-hmm. a show that goes ten seasons. Episode twelve, I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously they didn't know they were getting ten seasons. Yeah, but I think if they were planning it out, this probably that again a good season finale mm-hmm, for sure versus for sure. mid basically mid season. I guess this, this actually might have been the mid mid season. Right, because episode twelve, it's twenty three episodes. Yeah, so. yeah, twenty three. So yeah, you're about half point, halfway point. So that makes a little bit more sense then. All right, so we move into Act One. Uh, Clark wakes up to find his strength and speed are gone, and essentially he no longer has any powers. During PE, he even gets a cramp and a nosebleed. Eric, meanwhile, appears to have gained the powers, or at least the strength that Clark has lost. Lana learns that Nell is planning to sell the flower shop and the attached movie theater. Roger Nixon brings proof of what really happened that day on the bridge, and Lex drives over to ask Clark to tell him the truth. But Clark, currently without powers, denies what Lex knows. So what struck you from Act 1? Okay, uh, we'll start off uh, for the first thing. So, you know, they end the cold open basically with Clark burning his hand on Eric's jacket. And knowing Clark the way we know Clark, it is impossible to me that he didn't find out he didn't have his powers until he woke up the next day. Mm. Because as frequently as he uses his powers in the course of his day, even to just do his chores, like they would have already found this out the night before or the day before. Because apparently, again, this whole thing happened like midday, even though it was kind of dark when it happened because there was a storm. Mm. Like it was the middle of the day. So it's pretty safe to assume that at some point in the period between the lightning strike and the next morning, Clark would have at least tried to use a super speed. Like, so I, I feel like, you know, they're, they're showing like he wakes up and he's like, he's, he shows up, he's tired. Like he's mm-hmm. exhausted. Like, you know, you get, you hear him say things that Clark doesn't normally say. And then of course you get to Jonathan and his truck that he drove into basically a, a mud hole. Yeah. And if you look around, there's no other mud holes. No. Like he, he found the one gigantic mud hole on his property, which makes me think, I mean, I think Jonathan Kent is a great dad. He's a, he's a great dad, but does he take Clark for granted? For sure. Cause, cause he was kind of like aggravated, like, come on, Clark, let's go. We don't have time for you to, you know, not do this. And quit pussyfooting around back there, yeah. you know, like. Yeah. So little, little bit of a notch in the bad dad column for Jonathan there. You know, um, and I think, I don't know if it's necessarily bad dad, but again, I guess if you grow used to your son being able to lift a tractor over his head, <laughs> then if your son takes too long to lift the back end of your car or push your car out of the mud hole, I, I guess you would maybe find like, maybe your son's messing with you, right? Maybe he's just yeah. joshing with you and you got cows to feed, man. You got things to do. <laughs> That's right. We got to go. Um, in my very, very small way of this and, and, and having you on a kind of a bad example because you're several inches taller than me but i am taller than anyone in my family 
And I'm very much taller than anyone in my wife's family. Like, uh, in fact, everyone in my family is taller than anyone in my wife's family. She's from a small family, right? So I'm known as tall man. So sometimes I'll be like, tall man. And they're like, you know, I just get things from top shelves or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. Like they're just, they just know that if they can't reach something, they call for me and I'll go get it. Mm -hmm. So if one day all of a sudden I showed up and didn't have legs below my knees and I couldn't reach things, it would be a drastic change for them. Because that's just, you know, who I am in their eyes. Well, that'd be a, a that'd be a pretty drastic change overall. I mean, let's just, not just tall man, but yeah. If you showed up like with, you know, feet on your knees and missing that whole, you know, lower half of your leg, that'd be a pretty big deal. I, I'd be dwarf. But <laughs> I also felt, I also felt like when they kind of make this realization that Clark is suddenly powerless, um, like his, like both Ma and Pa, Kent, tend to uh, they almost act like it's a walk it off situation like <laughs> like maybe it happened because the lightning storm maybe you know maybe you're maybe this is just kind of how your things develop how it works for you and then yeah. pa kent's basically like yeah we'll go to school and if it gets worse call us <laughs> like <laughs> your son like, literally just lost the otherworldly powers he has had his whole yeah. life you know maybe it's time maybe it's a sick day kind of situation maybe you, hold you him from think. hold him home see what happens yeah go to school call us if it gets any worse you know and uh, he also got a nosebleed, and and this is not the only nosebleed he gets. Which which I begs the question: Why did he get a nosebleed? Is the fact that he's now quote unquote mortal just deadly to him? Like, would he literally just die if enough time passed, or was it from the effort of trying to push the truck? Because because he gets one later just from running. So is there a, an an effort? And so the nosebleed is concerning. You, your son's never bled before. And now he's got blood coming out of his nose. I think, I think, yeah, a sick day's in, in order. It's funny too, because it's one of those things where you brought that up. And the first thing that came to my mind was if you removed his powers, would he even have a working immune system? <laughs> You're right. He, Cause he's he never had to fight. He'd never, he's never had to fight any actual like earthborne diseases in his life. He's never had to worry about a cold, never had to worry about the flu, never had to worry about the sniffles, like, you know. So I would think this first 24 hours would basically be like infection ahoy. And, you know, by the end of the day, he would be, you know, at home sick in bed with a fever and maybe even pneumonia. Like, it's just. True. You know, That's true. Uh, uh, but going back to Ma and Pa Kent, um, there's a question. It's kind of a poignant moment where Clark is looking for reassurance about this. He goes, like, am I going to be all right? And they both deflect. Neither one of them answer. And that's where Jonathan's like, ah, you'll be fine. Go to school. Call us if it gets worse. Oh, yeah. You better go catch the bus. (laughs) But you got to think that has got to be terrifying for them. Oh, certainly. Because they have no idea what's happening. It's terrifying enough just having a child. Like I have, I have two normal boys and I try my best to keep them safe and, you know, give them reassurance. But But you're terrified every day. I am. But if one of them suddenly, you know, couldn't do a thing that they could always do, that would be extra special scary. And and I kind of feel for them a little bit. Maybe this deflection isn't callousness as much as terror and shock. And they don't want Clark, they don't want Clark to see them being so afraid. So they're just like, we need time to like to maybe it's ourselves. maybe it's like more like stoicism than anything else. Like it's just kind of like. Let's. We need time to figure this out, but let's uh, let's reassure let's Clark pr- by project calm, project calm, and project. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then we got uh, jump to the Summers household, and we see Eric coming down the stairs, and there's this sort of fun little. Uh, I think it's like a reference to the future where he's pulling his glasses on and off because 
obviously he doesn't need them anymore. It's also reminiscent of the first Spider-Man where Petey doesn't need his spider classes anymore. And we learned that not only is Mr. Summers a colossal dick, he's also an abuser. He Mm -hmm. definitely hits or has in the past hit Eric. And the way his wife acts, it makes me think he's probably hit her as well. Oh, yeah. That's – I mean they show – they're certainly showing the classic like – you know, domestic abuse partner, you know, you have the, you have the partner who is basically quiet and submissive, uh, because again, they've been the target of this abuse. And then you've got, again, their son who is trying to live within this and is certainly bottled up his own interior rage. You can tell just by the way he talks to his dad, you know, he certainly, he gives him the begrudging respect he feels he has to, but he certainly isn't above like smarting off at the mouth. And of course, as you see, his dad certainly isn't above, you know, physically responding to that. Right. And it wasn't like it was a huge transgression. He, you know, he, he was just, he just wasn't as respectful. His tone wasn't quite what his dad expected, but it wasn't like he was shouting like curse words, flipping him off, yelling, screaming. He was just, you know, like being a bit of a disrespectful teenager, but not that there's ever an excuse for domestic abuse. I don't even mm. anybody think I'm leaning that way. But the reactions seem to be very outsized to the causal factor. For sure. Uh, but again, they set up they set up that whole. This is a different person with a different background and raised differently, and let's see how they take to these new abilities. Mm. Like this is another part of that. You know, building, kind of building that uh, storyline for Eric, right? You know, it's just not a, you're not getting just a kid who gets the abilities. You get, you're giving that glimpse into the kid's background so they can really hammer that lesson home later. Right. Definitely not a blank slate in this Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we actually have the first real show uh, that he does have powers is that when his dad hauls off like he's going to backhand him, Eric's able to like super speed around and then stop his dad's fist directly and just like you know with super strength but he doesn't hurt his dad he just stops his dad cold in his tracks so we we definitely learned for a fact here that eric now has the abilities that clark has lost Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh so then we cut to school and it's after pe and clark looks like he's just been drugged through the mud and he's covered in sweat he gets a leg cramp for like the first time ever uh we get that thirsty moment thirsty the look of the leg cramp, like like what uh, Tom sells that so well, because yes. it's just this whole, my leg is in pain, like <laughs> like the the sheer shock and surprise on Clark's face, and I Pete's just being like, it's a cramp, man, walk it's it cramp, off, dude. like walk it off, <laughs> and again, it's a walk it off situation, right? Like this is everyday life for the rest of us mortals. Just yeah, get used to it. Just get used to it. Which I, I agree. I think Tom Welling sold that very well, very I I laughed out loud when he did mm. that. But it also does throw into a little bit of a question that we've talked about before is how, when, and where exactly did Clark's powers manifest? Like, was he super duper right from the beginning or did his powers grow? Like, I'm assuming his strength increased as he grew, but even as a little baby, like from the movie version, he's able to lift like the back of a truck. So did he ever have a cramp before or was he always immune to those cramps? You know, because that brings into question... How did kryptonite affect him? Has he always been affected by kryptonite? Because it seems like this is a new thing just within the last couple months or years of the show that kryptonite hurts him because they, they discover that during the show. But kryptonite's all over Smallville. It's literally, oh, you can't it's walk everywhere. five feet. So if he was always this susceptible, you think this would have come up by now. So it's a little bit conflicting in 
contradicting itself mm-hmm. a bit yeah and you know they show a certainly later on in smallville as the series continues you get to see clark go through exhaustion right like he gets to points where even a, a man with his you know powers of speed and his powers of stamina like he gets drawn to and pushed to limits but those limits certainly don't appear to have been like a leg cramp right like mm-hmm. that's never something he's probably ever experienced before uh and ever never had to deal with before uh, because the level of physical activity he does that's comparable to humans is like there's no measurable scale for it. Yeah. I would say he's never had a leg cramp before, clearly. <laughs> but, you know, I think uh, when you talk about later on in the show, like you certainly get to see him go through like what would be equivalent levels of pain and exhaustion for what would a normal person would go through versus him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of this, um, he's, he is kind of walking it off. He's trying to walk it off. And then he walks in on Eric in the weight room and, um, Eric's like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't notice anything different. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, Clark very subtly is asking like, Hey, are you super powered now? Yeah. It's not, <laughs> I'm glad, you know, I'm so glad I can detect the sarcasm in your voice when you say subtle, because again, we see Clark. You know, belying those later journalistic tender- tendencies he has, he literally just basically bald face asked of the question without sta- stating it 100%. You know, you didn't happen to gain any weird powers, did you? <laughs> you feel all right? You know, are you, are you okay? Are you, have you changed at all since yesterday's like lightning strike? Uh, you Do you know, have any hmm? hair where you didn't have hair before? Can right? you like run at the speed of sound now? You know, is your body changing as you age? You know, uh, but Eric's like, no, no, nothing's. But but there's a little gleam in his eye that lets you kind of already hints that maybe this isn't true. Oh, and he clearly he I mean, Eric clearly knows something's up like something. Yes. Uh, but after Eric or after Clark leaves, Eric, he's he's on like those universal weight machines and he drops the weight down to 600 pounds and he starts bench pressing it. And there's no even effort. It's just effortlessly oh yeah that's clearly a fake weight set like the the actual weights themselves i'm fairly sure it's a block of styrofoam that they carved out to look like weights so that he can effortlessly push it up like i don't think there's any mechanical like i see your notes are are, are curious about how they did it i am almost 100 sure it's just a a a molded block well i'm curious about that just because i I know for a fact it's not you know necessarily the real he's not doing that of course of course but but i've used those universal machines myself and i feel like taking all those weights off to put on fake weights is kind of labor intensive so i almost wonder if it was a mechanical like they'd have it like on a pivot because the way it, it the the back end of of the bar is out of shot so it makes me think that maybe there's just like a, a counterweight and there's just someone off screen like pneumatically uh, and that certainly to- certainly could be the case again you know uh, there's a number of movie magic ways they can make this happen right? right and i was just curious which one they employed so if anyone listening if you happen to know or think you know please let us know because i'm curious on how they got that effect because <laughs> it works well in the, in the in the image of the show it looks like he's been pressing 600 pounds without effort and that's a cool trick well this is going to keep michael up at night so please somebody yes. respond Please, uh, smallvillefancast at gmail.com. Uh, so then we learn, uh, basically, Lana gets dropped off by the flower shop by Whitney. We get a really quick uh, dialogue about how Whitney's father's still sick and it's affecting his ability to play football and study and he's worried about losing a scholarship. Lana then learns that Nell is selling the flower shop and the connected movie theater, which seems to upset Lana, though we're not exactly sure why yet. And then one of the, what I think is one of the really interesting that happens in this episode is we cut to Lex's mansion 
And Roger has now proven, quote unquote proven, that Lex did hit Clark on the bridge with his car. He's got this like computer animatics showing that based on all the evidence, this is what happens. And we see the wireframe car hitting the wireframe Clark and proving what they believe all along that Clark, in fact, was hit by the car. So this is – I want to go back to one thing uh, sure. real quick. When when Whitney is dropping Lana off and they're having their exchange in the street, funny thing you notice in the background that uh, downtown Smallville is covered in snow. <laughs> um, and at first I was like, did I miss it? Like I know there was no snow in the cold open, but I was like, was there snow at the Kent farm? So I went back and looked. I'm like, there's no snow at the Kent farm. It's the, There's a mud hole that came out yeah. of nowhere, but for the most part, it's green everywhere. And then – you know, downtown Smallville, they're getting out of the truck. I'm like, there's those streets behind them are covered in snow. And then Lana basically steps up onto the curb and like the curb is covered in snow in certain spots. I'm like, so is it like, is it winter in Smallville or <laughs> is this just a, a crazy weather thing or maybe just a production flub? I'm going to go with production flub. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I can't believe I did notice it, but it was one of those like, wait, is it, is it winter? And then I had to double check myself because I was like, was I not paying attention? Mm. No, I was paying too much attention and saw snow where I clearly wasn't <laughs> supposed to. They cleared it off of everywhere they were shooting their main shots. But yeah, in the background, you can clearly see like piles of snow piled up on curbs and stuff like that. Yeah, I um, totally missed that one. And, uh, and then the other question I had, because I haven't been watching these episodes in sequence for the most part. Is this the first time we're seeing the animation? Because I feel like we see the that animation earlier in the season, like on something else or played back in some other way. But is this the first or is this the reveal of that animation? I, I believe we've seen segments and I may be incorrect, but I don't think we've seen the whole thing put together okay. that completely. Okay. Because I kept I, – when I saw that animation, like my first response was like – they're acting like this is brand new, but I feel like they've shown this animation on the show before. Like, I can't believe it's just being revealed to Lex now when I feel like, again, I, I'm mentally, I feel like they've played this once before in these first 12 episodes. Like, like Clark, like Lex has already done this at some point. Right. But this may, this may be the reveal too. Again, it, my memory may be playing tricks on me for that. Yeah, and it's hard because again, I've watched, I went through and watched all ten seasons, so my my memory's also all jumbled and out of order. Mm -hmm. But I believe this is the first time we've seen it in completion, as okay. if this is factual, not just hypothetical. So Lex sees this and he drives over to talk to Clark. So it's late at night at this point. Uh, there's a quick scene where where Clark's doing his chores yeah. and it takes him longer and he's exhausted. Well, I think there's there's also a scene a little bit earlier where they show, uh, you know. I, I don't recall, is it this one or is it in Act 2 where Clark's asking Dad how he, how do you do this every day? I think that's just before that because Clark says, I'm going to get to that fence before dinner and Jonathan's okay. like, don't worry about it. Yeah. But then obviously he did. But yeah, yeah Jonathan's like. It's, again, another one of those like Clark trying to be like, like. This is how it's just how it is for real life, like normal people. Like Nor how do you do normie? this? How does a normie like, do farm work? Right. And then uh, Jonathan's answer, of course, is. uh Practice, practice, Just yeah. do it every day. Um, but yeah, so we to get back to yeah, we have uh, we have Clark banging his thumb with a hammer for apparently the first time as well. Yes, uh, which again, big picture is kind of a cool scene that Lex finally gets quote unquote proof. But when he shows up, Clark actually has no powers whatsoever, which is kind of interesting though because this would have been a great opportunity to show that like Clark could have pulled off his gloves and look at like he's probably got. 
blisters all over his hands that he's never had before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which, again, later we do have that scene, which is probably why they didn't do it here. But I was a little bit confused the first time through. Like, why doesn't he take the opportunity to actually clearly show? Uh, But basically, Lex, and this is something I've said all along, Lex doesn't care if Clark has these abilities. He just wants Clark to tell him. He says, you're the closest thing I've had, I've ever had to a friend. You can trust me. You can confide in me. And to that point, he told Roger before he left, no one's ever going to know this. If it gets out, me and you are going to have problems. So he has no current inclination to try to manipulate or use this information. He just wants the satisfaction of his friend confiding in him. And I think that it's such a lonely sort of like. It's poignant. It poignant, really is. Yes. Um, it's, it's totally poignant. It's the, I mean, it's really the crux of, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but, and I'm sure it's happened on a number of the episodes here as well. Obviously trust is one of the overlying themes of Smellville. Uh, and again, it's a CW show and it's a teen show. So trust comes up all the time, Mm -hmm. but with, with Lex, the way they portray him and the way Michael Rosenbaum plays him, you really do get that sense of if, Clark had been willing to trust Lex with his secret. And if he had opened up to Lex, how would that have actually changed their relationship? And how would that have changed Lex's path in life? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, obviously Lex has certainly shown the, uh, the ability to make poor decisions all on his own without any help from Clark. Yes. But we also know from the even the portrayals we've gotten so far in these first 12 episodes that in his life, Lex basically has no one that really cares for him in a way that is nurturing, mm-hmm. right? He does not have anybody that that either runs with him or is in his orbit that really treats him as an equal person with feelings and, you know, with their own, with drives and all the normal things that, you know, you and I might take for granted in our friendships and our, the relationships we have in our daily lives. Um, and it's just crazy how much that plays into and how well Smallville actually portrays that part of it. Uh, the fact that you bring it up here, I mean, clearly Lex is really just asking, just be straight with me. Like, just be, just be my friend. Like, tell me the thing that you're worried about or tell me this thing and be honest with me. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and of course we see how that plays out as the show goes on, but this is just another, this is one of the, a, a big example of Lex just wants to have a friend, like someone, think, a friend, like a, a true friend. One. And I think, one. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, absolutely. And, just, and, just one. And we get that parallel. I get no. I get that. Yeah, I'll say parallel. Uh, his relation with, relationship with Victoria. Here is a girl from his past that he seems to like. They have a, a an intimate relationship, but it was an act from the beginning. She was trying to play him. He was playing her. And we'll find out at the end of the episode there was even another level of deception where once again his dad can't you know give anything to Lex without trying mm-hmm. to you know showing showing him up. So here's another example of a relationship that could have been nurturing but that's what he's used to he's used to being lied to he's used to being manipulated and tricked he just wants one relationship that doesn't have that element but he's just so happens to have chosen an alien with superpowers who doesn't feel like he can share you know you know and again that's a theme right like that whole theme of and we see that theme in played out obviously in this episode between clark and eric right 
but that's the really a larger theme of Smallville, you know, in a capsule form in this episode, but a larger theme is you've got Clark who is raised not only with these crazy abilities, but with a pair with some, with parents who, who love and respect him and treat him as a, a person and an, and an equal, right? You have that loving familiar relationship. And then of course, on the Luthor side, you have that antagonistic relationship. The, you know, you have somebody who is basically raised without that love and compassion and, you know, and they both, both families have their completely different sets of morals and to see how those morals are transferred down from father to son. Mm-hmm. And then how those two people, those two individuals play their lives out according to how they were raised. And again, we mentioned nature and nurture again. It kind of comes back to that same thing. That's a, that's a recurring theme through 10 seasons of Smallville. Yep. hundred percent agree. Uh, and then just very quickly, I usually throw this in at the very end, but I'll do it here because it's somewhat relevant. I have said that our, one of our goals for the show is to get to 100 USA iTunes ratings or reviews and or 150 global. And if we can reach those numbers, we're going to do a live play, actual play um, Smallville. I'm going to run a session of the Smallville role-playing game, which I'm calling like an Elseworlds because it's going to be an episode of Smallville that never happened. And potentially... Clark telling Lex's secret would make a pretty interesting Elseworld oh, show. for sure. For so sure. just throwing that out if you're interested, maybe that be possibly being the plot line of what we're going to do when we do it. Just, you know, help us get there. All right, so let's jump into our second act. Eric openly uses his new powers to stop a purse snatcher while Clark weighs life without having his powers and realizes it's not all bad. Clark gets to play basketball for the first time without his powers and has a blast. So right off the bat, we have our second needle drop of the episode. As soon as Eric appears on screen, before he stops a robbery, we hear Elevation by U2, which, side note, how expensive was that song? Right. And the notable lyrics here are, I've lost all self-control. You make me feel like I can fly. All right. So, uh, you know, again, we have, uh, you know, we get to see Eric kind of go through that little taste of power and recognition, right? You know, he does the right thing. Like, he helps Chloe. Obviously, his uh, his call to action uh, takes him a little bit over the edge, right? Yeah. He's overreacting to most everything that's happening, but he gets he uses a super speed in front of everybody. Uh, you get to see this interesting FX shot of a knife shattering against his palm. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past. That's not what would happen. Um, no, more no. than likely, the the his hand would just slide forward when the blade stopped, and he would slice his fingers or his yeah. hand. But it, no, it shatters into a million CGI pieces. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, because that's how knives break when you hit <laughs> things that are hard. Um, and then you get to see him, like, you know, again, just kind of take this person and toss them aside as though they were an empty, like, soda can. Mm-hmm. And not only does this happen, obviously, in front of a crowd, but it also happens in front of the the lady that Eric is certainly fond of. Yeah. And also that girl's jock boyfriend. Of course, uh, you know, everybody gets to see this. It happens. But you can see that, like, just that little glint of recognition from everyone around him all of a sudden starts to take hold right away. Like, oh, yeah. You can see the change on Eric's face. Like, he decides to do a good deed. So that's a good thing. I mean, hey, Clark would have done the same thing if he wasn't so worried about hiding his powers. Or he maybe would have done it in a different way that didn't reveal to everybody on the street that he had powers. You would like to hope so, anyways. You'd like to hope so. <laughs> like, he maybe would have let the guy get around the corner with the purse, and then Clark would have appeared out of nowhere in the alley and beat the crap out of him or taken the purse back, what have you, right? Right. No one would have seen Clark get the purse back. And then he'd be like, look what I found in the alley. Yeah. But I, I just wrote, so this is some real kid 
macho fantasy. And like, I've, you know, I've been very open. I was a fat kid growing up. I was not very popular growing up. No girls liked me until I was like well into high school. And I can remember having those types of fantasies of if I was only strong enough to stand up to the bullies in my school, that the girls I like would suddenly like me. And this is just such garbage that I I don't exactly know. This has got to be somewhere through pop media that just is like force fed to, to little boys that if they're strong and macho, girls will like them. But this definitely played out to me like that's what he would feel like. It's not real, but I can completely agree that that's what he thinks will happen. Well, and I, and again, I think it's, it's a, it's a general power fantasy. And I don't know, I like, I don't, I'm sure it's, you know, you can look, look back on our media and show, see that it's, you know, fed to kids at a certain age. It starts to get fed early. But at the same time, like in the cold open, we see that Eric is not afraid to stand up to this kid. Mm-hmm. But there, that power fantasy is still obviously intact. He thinks that by, you know, maybe by, by, this act happening, showing that he's like the alpha male, suddenly the person that he has an interest in will suddenly take an interest back. Right. Like that's all it takes. Like, you know, they have a relationship, but all that will be wiped away just because you're now stronger than some other person. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I can remember clearly having very similar fantasies as a young fat kid. Um, no one seems I, I, to be I can so, agree. I can agree. Yeah. Uh, no one seems to be so like everybody seems to be taken with Eric and there's like those moments where they're like all walking up, like patting him on the shoulder. Like, Oh my gosh, that's great. No one is looking at the thief. Who's probably looking like shredded beef at this point. Cause he was thrown through a plate glass window on a truck. I'm not counting that as a truck being destroyed. No, uh, the truck we, wasn't destroyed. Cause that we have enough of those coming, but still in real life, if you get thrown through a window, it's not like in TV though. I mean, again, this is a TV show. Uh, but I had a friend as a young age, we were playing tag and they were trying to chase one another. And when they ran into the house, the other person closed the door. And their house, like the front door was like half wood, half cl- painted yeah, glass. Yeah. So the upper part of their body went through the glass. We took them immediately to the hospital. They had a crap ton of stitches. Like they almost bled oh, out. Oh, no, yeah. Real that glass dead. <laughs> real glass, real glass is not candy glass. Yes. Real glass is sharp everywhere. And when a, a piece of glass scrapes across you that's razor sharp, it will cut you. Like those are all physics, right? Like we know that as grown human adults and even as young human adults. Like if you get thrown through a glass window, you're coming out bloody. Like yeah. there's no two ways about it. No one just shoulders through a window and then like just stands up and keeps running. Yeah. And no one falls on a pile of broken glass and just stands up and brushes it off. Like you're going to be picking that out for a while, bud. (laughs) For a long time. Uh, so then we cut to, uh, the Superboy, uh, headline. It's not really a headline. It's like an article headline because it's not the whole paper headline, but Chloe wrote an article about Eric Summers and his abilities and what he did. And Superboy was the name of like the headline. Cute. Uh, and then we see the Kents reading this article and we have that, it's a little bit of Smallville leap of logic because they know that something happened between Eric and Clark, but I do feel like the whole must have been the lightning and the kryptonite equals power transparency kind of seems like a bit of a leap of logic to me. Oh yeah, no, I would agree. That's definitely the leap of logic of the episode. Like they, uh, you know, if Clark was cognizant enough to remember maybe that when the lightning struck them, everything glowed green, just like the <laughs> meteor rocks. Like, again, if they had maybe even come out with that, it wouldn't be such a leap. But no one mentions that. No one says anything about it. Like, it's safe to assume Clark didn't necessarily describe that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they just assumed that he had a meteor rock. There was some lightning. Ipso facto power transfer. All right. And but that even brings up a question. 
on how exactly did that whole opening scene end? Because you, you already mentioned, like, it seems like we jump ahead time. Because his Eric's dad knows, like, you know, your son almost got another student killed. So did they tell them, hey, I got hit by lightning? Clark got hit by lightning? Like, Well, like when they come back to the bus, right? Because, again, that's whole Clark and Eric have to go back to the bus because that's buses waiting for them. Right. When Eric shows up covered in, like, burnt spots and smelling like, you know, ozone. <laughs> and, well, Clark and Eric both smell like ozone because they've been struck by lightning. Like, again – there's a whole there's a whole part of the scene that we miss, and I, I again I think it's just glossed over because it you know they can't they go into the minutia of yeah. how does everyone react when they find out that two students were just struck by lightning on the dam, but they both seem more or less fine. Fine, yeah. <laughs> so probably open answer or ask too many questions that can't be answered. Yeah, so, yeah. so we'll skip that as well. Yeah. Um, but it's really interesting I think to see Clark dealing with the fact that everyone seems to think. Eric's awesome, and he's getting all these accolades for using his powers openly when Clark has always used his, you know, either hidden or or not used them. Um, and again, this is another reason I would have liked for this to have been like a two or three part episode to really give him time to deal with that. Because it well, seems like see the, the turn fallout. happens. Yeah, the turn happens so quickly. But what if Eric had like weeks of adoration? What if this girl, Holly really did come to start dating him or a different girl, maybe one that wasn't already attached steps up and says, you know, I've always really liked you, but now we can, you know, or Chloe. even Chloe. Yeah. Like in that scene, like they the scene where, uh, you know, Eric is like, did you come up with the name Superboy? Like there is definitely some chemistry happening there between Eric yeah. and Chloe. And again, like they, because of the way that this episode plays out, this whole timeline is so fast tracked to squeeze everything in, to that, you know, 46 minutes, right. what have you. Um, and there are so many areas here that could have, with a little bit a little bit more time to explore, really could have been super meaty. Like you mentioned earlier, but I mean, again, that turn, the turn from good guy to straight jerk happens so, almost like whiplash mm -hmm. uh, in this episode due to the needs of time. Yeah. But to see that play out over a couple of episodes would have been so much more satisfying. Yeah, there are some episodes of the show that they're stretching to get 42 minutes. In this episode, they're cutting to to get – there There was definitely more than that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and this is where we also get the lesson. Like the, the lesson for the episode comes out right here in Act 2, uh, which is what Jonathan says to to Clark, which is that you know your abilities are part of you, but they don't define who you are. Um, and it, obviously it takes Clark a bit to get to that point. You know, right. right. This is this is what the first time I think of three times they repeat that lesson through the course of the episode. But this is the first time you get to hear Jonathan say it. And it, it's again, it's a good point. It goes back to again, like the abilities are great, but they aren't they are not the abilities are not Clark Kent. Mm -hmm. They're just a, they're just a part of you. Right. And then the little quick line where it's like, well, it works for you and mom. And thanks. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> normal. Yeah. Yeah. Being normal works for you and mom. And I love uh, Annette's, Annette O'Toole's reaction there as yeah. great as, as Martha. She's just like, thanks. 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 Like, yeah. Uh, and then we get a scene back at school where Clark uh, stares at Lana's necklace to the point that I kept expecting her or Whitney one to be like, dude, her eyes are up here. No, exactly. And it happens like, again, Almost every time she's wearing the necklace, that happens. So maybe right. everyone's just used to Clark, like, walking up and staring absentmindedly at Lana's, like, chest area. Right. You know, maybe it's just they're used to it. But 
every time it happens in this episode, it is the weirdest vibe. Yeah. And it's even, I mean, and again, we're going to get to it a little later, but it gets, it gets so much worse a little bit later where like in every instance, time. It's the fact that it's not making him sick. He's the realization that, wait, I, she has her necklace on, but I'm not sick. That's a good thing. But it definitely is like two seconds too long, buddy. You need to get your eyes up and, a little higher. But they, everybody mentions, like, Lana pull, brings it up every time it happens. She's like, hey, Clark, you okay? <laughs> hey, Clark, what's going on? Hey, Clark, you're scaring me. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, and yeah, you said it gets kind of weird later. Yeah. Uh, but we get to see Clark play basketball. He gets invited to a two on two pickup game and Petey's like, no, we can't. Clark doesn't play. Clark's like, no, no, I play. Uh, and we get another needle drop here though. The song is some 41's fat lip. I looked at the lyrics. There weren't any of the actual lyrics themselves that I thought fit what happened, but the name of the song kind of coincides with the fact that Clark, you know, he gets hit by a pick and yeah, he falls Whitney, down. Whitney, Whitney beats Clark around a little bit during the game and not necessarily in a, in a, in a negative way or in like a, uh, you know, challenging way, but it's just part of the play. Just it's a little part bit of the rough. Game. Yeah. A little bit rough. Yeah. But you get to see Clark go down. You get to see him like actually like he obviously skins his elbow on the back, on the gym floor and you get mm-hmm. to see that reaction and, and you get to see his face like when he realizes, Oh my God, I'm playing like a normal person. Right. Like, this is what he's always said he's wanted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's a normal kid doing normal things. He got to play basketball. He lost, but he doesn't care. He just finally got to play. And I loved, and again, once again, I give Tom Welling credit. I think he sold that childlike almost wonder of this is so much fun. I'm so glad I get to do this right now. And not just that, but uh, not just that part of it, but then at the end of the game, right? The little wrap up they do where like Whitney and his buddy are like, Hey, Hey, you know, we do this every Tuesday and Thursday, you know, come, come back, like come play again. And like just that little bit of interaction, like you get that sense that Clark doesn't get that type of interaction with a lot of these kids because he's usually so guarded about keeping himself safe and keeping his powers hidden that, you know, not only did he lose and he he was fine with that, like he was happy about it, right? Uh or ecstatic with the whole experience. But these his these people that are his friends were basically like, Hey, you know, this is this was fun, let's do it again. Mm-hmm. Well, because Kalana even mentions later that he seems like lighter, like he doesn't have the weight of the world on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then later he comes back and she's like With the weight of the world the weight's on his back shoulders. Now. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like uh it's interesting. Uh, so we'll jump into our third act, and, and here it appears that Lex was in fact outmaneuvered by Victoria with their deal to try to take over Luther Corp because Sir Harry ended up buying Cadmus Labs based on Lex's research, and now doesn't need Lex to participate and is going to buy Luther Corp outright. Uh, we learn about Lana's parents and their meet cute at the Talon movie theater. Eric decides to do whatever he wants, and it goes badly for him and Clark. And the blue book value for a couple of cars. <laughs> Clark gets hurt. Lex sees that his injuries are real and apologizes for thinking Clark had been lying about what happened on the bridge. Clark says he's enjoying being powerless before going off to confront Eric, borrowing Lana's kryptonite necklace to do so. Clark finds Eric back on top of the dam and watches as he purposefully falls over. So there's a lot happens in this episode, though mm-hmm. it's kind of a short episode. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really quick scenes. Well, and like this, the... The storyline with Lex in this one, it definitely feels like they're giving this particular part of the storyline lip service. Like they, you know, uh, mostly just because they need this part of the story to progress 
and it gives them a little bit of – I don't know why they would need filler for this episode because the Lord knows there's plenty of it. Right. Uh, but in this case, like I feel like this – this little payoff between you know what was happening with Victoria and then Victoria's dad and the the deal with Luther Corps, I kind of feel like they could have cut that out and it wouldn't have been missed in this episode. So the only reason I disagree is I think it's supposed to contrast the relationship he had with Victoria versus his relationship with Clark. Okay, because okay, this I can see this that. is the end of that relationship. I can um, see that. Yeah, but I agree. It's it doesn't add a lot, but I think that was like the thought process is okay. Oh, we see that that relationship. This is what he's used to. This is what he expects. And then here's Clark kind of situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, also, I uh, I found that oh, we get to see Eric's dad uh, bring up being a prick part three in this uh, this act as well, if I recall. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, but we'll cut back real quick to Lana and the Talon, which I'm already joking. In my notes uh, is maybe like the third most stable relationship <laughs> in Smallville because Lana it is the so yeah, it's so ongoing. This. This uh, this love affair that she's got with the Talon as a building and what it means to her, but you know this is really the only episode where they explain that at all. Mm-hmm. You know, for the rest of the time that the Talon is part of the Smallville, uh, you know, uh, mythos, which is for the majority of the series, I think up even to like season six or seven, right? The Talon plays a role, um, and and this is the only time that they really explain why Lana is so. Uh, drawn to and is so enamored with this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her explanation of how it, it's kind of like, you know, one of the few things left that validates the fact that her parents even like existed. Right. Um, and it's, it's again, it's kind of, it's, it's sad and it's, there is a poignancy to it. Um, and it, I really liked the fact that they did dive into it at least long enough to explain that part because she seems so upset earlier in the episode mm-hmm. and her aunt, you would, th- I mean, you would really think her aunt would be a lot more cognizant of how much yeah. this means to her because her aunt earlier in the episode basically blows her off. Like, look, I'm not doing business based on your, like your little teenage feelings. And it's really kind of rude to her about the whole thing and kind of callous. She is, but there's a point. I, mean, I don't think this was in any way intended, but mm-hmm. from a big picture, if Lana really cared about the theater this much, why is it in such crappy repair? Why isn't she there after school? fixing it up now like it didn't it seemed like she was comfortable with it there but when the when she learned it might be going away it's the whole you know you don't know what you love until it's gone type of thing yeah i think yeah that's that's a good point so it wasn't until it's supposed to go away that now suddenly she's like wait you can't do that so i can kind of see if this was like you know real this wasn't just a scene that was written for a show that her her aunt's probably like you've done nothing with this theater for years and now is suddenly the most important thing to you. Come on. So mm-hmm. sad about it, but I did a um, couple things. We first see Lana, she's rolling up an old movie poster. I tried to Google what movie that was and I could not find it. I searched the, the name of the actress is Haley Bowden. I Googled that couldn't find anything. And then I did a Google reverse image search of that image. Could not find it either. So I don't know if it's a real movie or if it was just something the prop department made, but I was trying to find if it was an actual movie or not. Uh, mm. And then we have the little meet cute thing between Clark and Lana, where Lana talks about how her mom didn't really like close encounters of the third kind. So she came out of the movie and was chatting with her dad. And Clark says, um, how can you get bored during that movie? And Lana says, I don't know. Maybe she has a thing against aliens, which I just thought was funny. I'm going to have to disagree with Clark there because that movie is a fantastic movie, but there's plenty of parts that are pretty slow moving. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a 70s sci-fi movie. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of popcorn action to it. Yeah. yeah. 
But anyway. Uh, and then, you know, of course, you know, we've got, uh, uh, Eric's parents want to be studied or the Eric's parents are like th- that whole scene. Again, you have Eric's dad has handled this poorly from the, from the start, right? Yes. From the get, from Absolutely. before Eric got his powers. But ever since it's just gotten worse and worse, right? Um, you know, Eric's dad wants to get him basically taken to Metropolis to have some studies done, you know, and it's clear that all Eric wa- really is wants in this situation is for his parents to try to help him. Yeah. Like to acknowledge that this isn't like to acknowledge that something good maybe have happened to him and that, you know, can you, can't you see this mom? Can't you see this? And, you know, of course his dad being the, you know, callous domestic abuser that we know him to be, you know, just basically at that point sees his son as a lab experiment and no, you know, not even as his kid. Um, again, pointing to the whole, here's another certainly, uh, clear reason why Eric takes the path that he does. Mm-hmm. No, I, again, completely understandable to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eric fights back. He grabs his dad. He holds him up against the wall and he says, I can do whatever I want to do. Immediately cut to him wearing a long black trench coat, carrying a boom box with the uh, song Bone Cracker by Showcore. Because apparently that's what he wanted to do was to carry a boombox. Uh, I wrote down that there's no specific lyrics were needed that Bonecracker says it all. Because this is where we get to our turn where he arrogantly goes up to Holly and asks her on a date while her boyfriend Brent's right there. Brent, who's apparently really dumb, not realizing, wait, we've already seen super this guy. Super dumb. Super He's dumb. Super dumb. Is like, wait, I'll beat you up. What? Did I forget that you're now superhuman? Uh, so we get a, basically, we get a fight. Brent realizes quickly, I've made a mistake. He oh, trusts. It's not even a fight. It's, that's, this is one of those turns, right? This is, <laughs> it's not even a fight. You know, Jock steps up to Eric. Brent, I guess his name is. I wasn't even paying attention to the character's yeah. name. Uh, Brent steps up to Eric, is like, I, you know, you're still a nothing. You're a nobody. This weird freak thing you did yesterday. You know, at which point Eric, then I believe punches the mirror off the truck next to him, mm-hmm. shatters it like with one shot. And you can clearly see at that moment the like that Brent is like, okay, well, I may have opened my mouth. <laughs> and then the next shot you see is Brent like running and hiding under a, under another truck, right? Mm-hmm. And part of me is like, I, I kind of felt like they didn't really take the step that should have shown Brent running because it was clear that at that moment he punched the mirror and Brent was like, you know what? I'm done. Like, we're good. Don't worry about it. Well, there like, is a scene where he's trying to run and, and Eric keeps zooming in front of him, but I don't know if, I don't know if that comes after. before or after the truck. That's goes. after, after okay. he gets him out from under the truck. Right. Yeah. But so like, I feel like this, there was, there was a point of escalation that we don't see mm-hmm. like where, you know, where Eric may have done something or in or at some point ran Brent off. So that Brent is now running for his life. Right. You know, you don't get to see that. And it kind of bothers me that you don't because (laughs) I feel like the tone that they set when he punches the mirror, you see Brent's face and he's like, oh, shit. I have I have made a bad choice. (laughs) I yeah, I have made a terrible mistake. (laughs) The the god Bluth. Right. uh, Totally Bluth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's totally a Bluth moment. Yeah. Uh, But uh, but yeah. So then you get to see. Uh, and I wanted to comment on this too, because of course, you know, evil Eric means that not only is he wearing a long black trench coat, but now he also has horrible musical taste. <laughs> like his musical taste it was 
decent to begin with. And, you know, U2, hey, that's not a, that's not a bad tune, right? Uh, they put that in form. But then this, uh, it was a bone cracker. Bone cracker. I'm the bone cracker. Bone cracker. Like, I heard that, so- I heard that song start and my brain just like, st- like shut out that song. <laughs> like, at th- that point, my brain was like, this song is not, there's no music playing in this scene. Like, it just doesn't exist. <laughs> this scene happens, sound cues. There's effects, but no audio, tra- no soundtrack going along because that song is just yeah. so bad. So, uh, so Brent tries to hide under a truck, and Eric, one hand casually lifts it up, you know, like if you're trying to get it out of the mud. Um, so Brent runs away, and then Eric, rather than setting the truck back down, decides to flip it side over yeah, side. Who's ever trucked that? Like that dude didn't do anything to yeah. you. <laughs> That's nobody's fault. Uh, so that is technically our first car destroyed because I'm also not counting True. the mirror punch. Yeah, the mirror uh, punch. That was definitely damage, but not a destruction. You're right. Uh, then Eric grabs Brent and throws him. He crashes into a table, destroying the table. That is our first table that has been destroyed in Smallville. But trust me, folks, it will not be the last table. Oh, no. Many no. tables have lost their lives due to the show. Yeah, Clark correct. runs There's... out and says, like, stop, Eric. You're, you're going to regret that. You don't want to kill Brent. You don't want that on your conscience. Trust me. I know. Eric doesn't care. Grabs Clark, throws him through the air, he lands on top of another car, shattering all of the windows and crushing the top. I'm counting that as our second car being destroyed this episode. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, there was a lot of damage there. And, and again, uh, you know, Clark was about 15 feet in the air before he landed on the car. Yeah. It's going to hurt. Um, yeah. Not the yeah. first time Clark's been thrown on a car. First time no. he did it when he was not super powered, though. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, I just put myself in Clark's shoes and I'm fairly sure that, you know, even if I was the same age Clark would have been, which was, you know, 17, 16, 17 years old, uh, uh something would have been broken. <laughs> oh, def- definitely. For def- sure. Definitely. Uh, so that ends the third act. We, we're going to go right into the fourth act here. Clark is getting patched up at the hospital. Lex arrives and can see that Clark is just a normal kid. Got some entries. Uh, we learn that Lex was just playing uh, Victoria, that he had, in fact, successfully fed her faulty information about Cadmus Labs, ruining Sir Harry's company, and that on the very next day, he and Lionel together were going to be buying Sir Harry's company. Clark comes to realize life without powers is not life without responsibility. He borrows Lana's necklace to confront Eric, knowing he may not survive this other round. I was impressed with this one because you get to you saw Clark at the hospital without an exterior shot of Smallville Medical. <laughs> so how did we know where he was? Right. How did we know? Uh, that could have been like, they could have been like patching him up in the nurse's office at school, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, but I, that, that was something that struck me just kind of funny because of how often Smallville Medical gets used in the series as in general through the course of the show. Oh, so um, many times. The fact that you get to see Clark in the building without them establishing that he's at the hospital. I mean, you know, if they can use that insert shot, they use that insert shot. So I'm assuming they just don't have it yet. <laughs> they don't, or they don't have time. Again, this episode yeah. was so much. They didn't even have the two second establishing shot time. Uh, and again, again, Clark has bruised ribs. Yes. Bruised ribs. That's it. And a cut on his forehead, which they still have not put anything on because it's still an open wound when Lex is looking mm-hmm. at it. Uh, there is this one weird moment where the Kent, the Jonathan, Mile and Paul can't come in. And the doctor's like, you know, we could do an x-ray to be sure. And they're both like, oh, no, that's, that's fine. So is this the fact that they don't want to pay those medical bills? Or do they think that there's something about Clark's physiology that 
would be noticeable in an x-ray? I don't think that they've ever had him. Uh, well, let me should, let me correct that. They may have had, had him x-rayed as a child. But I'm, I honestly don't think they know anything about his physiology. And I, they think that, you know, there's a part of them that thinks if he ever got an x-ray, one, we never know if it would even really work. Yeah. And two, if well, now it he's does work. mortal, so it should. Should. But did that make him like a real person? Again, yeah. like they, the Kent family doesn't really know anything about Clark's physiological setup, right? Right. They assume he's like a person, I think, in their heads. Like he's just like you or I, except he's got these powers. But really, I mean, he's an alien. So maybe just safe to stay away from x-rays altogether. Right. So that that was my read is that they were afraid that the x-ray would show more than they wanted. Probably. Uh, I really like the interaction between Lex and Clark here. Um, Clark kind of gets to be funny when Lex is, you know, he basically is proven wrong that Clark isn't superhuman because obviously he just got beat up at school. And Clark has that line about, well, if we go out in the parking lot, maybe you could hit me with your car. Like, I literally laughed out loud at that. Like, every time I watched it, I've watched it three times in the last week. <laughs> I just, I just, I like the reading of it. I like Lex's, like, sort of like, damn it. You know, he's shaking his head. But I just thought it was a really funny line and I liked it. Again, that plays back to, I think that's both, uh, Tom and Michael, uh, themselves, like them as actors and inhabiting these roles. They do, uh, they continue to do a very good job of playing off with each other and really, you know, building that feeling of that friendship between the two of them. Like, you know, that's the kind of exchange you would have with a friend of yours mm-hmm. in that situation. Like the way it was written and the way they played it, you know, I think that plays off really well. I agree. So we take Clark back home. And we have that moment where, you know, he talks about not having his powers, but he would still happily take these bruised ribs than being around meteor rocks. And he's like, he's accepted that he's now mortal and he's happy with that. Mm-hmm. But immediately when we realize what happened with Eric, because there's an escalation there, it's still his responsibility. And even though he's mortal, could easily die, he fully knows maybe more than anybody what Eric is capable of, he marches right off without any powers mm-hmm. to stop him because that's who Clark is. Powers don't define Clark. Exactly, exactly. That's the, again, that crux of the lesson that we come back to, which is that Clark has finally realized that, you know, even without the powers, he's still Clark. He still has all the values and, and all the parts of his personality are still intact, and he's still that responsible person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of sad how quickly that that turns that that happiness turns to resignation um and but there was a funny line where they realized well he might have you know eric might have my same weaknesses if we have some green kryptonite maybe that will help and martha's like well we don't just keep it laying around but they do eventually they they start having it they keep a piece in the hall closet just in case they need it so they learned that lesson pretty quick you know again with uh between red kryptonite and like you know all the other weird things that happen to clark i mean it, it would make sense to keep a piece like on lockdown somewhere in the house, just in case. Just you know? in case. Because again, know. it doesn't matter unless he looks at it. So yeah, exactly. It can, <laughs> you know, it doesn't even have to be in a lead box. It can just be off. Uh, you know, if as long as it's out of eye shot, out of typically out of sight fine. line. So yeah, if, out of if, sight if it's line. like here or here, he's totally fine. Yeah, and I, I think again, I think we've got my notes are a little bit mixed up. Um, like what happens when and where. Uh, but we get the scene where we learn that Lex tricked Sir Harry, uh, and that they basically ruined their company. They're going to buy it. Uh, we have a, another scene with uh, Clark and Lana at the Talon. This is the second one, which is super creepy. This scene is, yeah, this is 
This is even more creepy, only mostly simply because of the way Clark is acting. Again, Clark is presenting his information to Lana as a, f- a final farewell yeah. of, sor- of sorts, and she has no idea what's going on. And again, he comes at her and you know walks up and literally locks his eyes on this necklace and stares at it for a good two to three seconds longer than he should. And this is where – and Lana actually is like, can I help you? <laughs> like, Clark. Clark? Eyes up here, buddy. Yeah. Um, and again, and he, 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 it's a, such an awkward ask. That was my note. Awkward ask for the necklace. Yeah. Because the segue he makes to ask, to ask for it is awkward. The way he asks for it is awkward. The gentle touch of her hand as he's taking it from, like the way he puts his hand on top of hers, like, you know, the whole scene is like, it's a little bit cringy just because of how Clark plays it. And cause Lana is completely unknowing as, yeah. as the other party in this. She's like, what's going on? Like, you're scaring. Like, she actually says, Clark, you're scaring me. And she should be, because he's acting like a crazy person. Because he's acting so weird. Yeah. But yeah, the that whole, the way that whole thing plays out. Oh, your necklace is beautiful. Can I borrow it? <laughs> I can't tell you why, but uh, if you if if this is the last time you see me, I'll make sure you get this back. Like, it <laughs> sounds like he's about to go, like, autoerotic. Jump off a dam. And <laughs> It sounds like he's about to jump off a dam. That's what he sounds like he's going to go do. <laughs> Uh, which isn't too far from the truth, but yeah, it, uh, it's, it, it's weird. You know, I guess trying to get into his head, he does think he's going to die or he thinks there's a high probability that he will die in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, he just got his normalcy. He just got what he wanted. His chance to be with Lana is now gone. So I I can kind of see it, but it's still, it just plays. It doesn't have enough time. Again, this should have been like a double episode. Yeah, I don't blame the the actors for this at all. I literally blame the script because of how compressed they've had to make this episode. This scene would have played out a lot differently if there had been a couple of weeks of time to pass where that normalcy had become kind of routine maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Clark comes and asks for the necklace out of nowhere. Yeah. But again, the way this plays out... Just like this was kind of a really kind of a ham fisted scene, I think, in the majority of this episode, which they do a pretty good job with. This scene was the one that I was kind of like, oh, yeah. And even the way it resolves, like they they force Lana to make some Smallville leaps of logic to mm-hmm. make it make sense backwards. Yeah, like, there, yeah. there was intention that wasn't there that they assume was so for sure. Uh, but then so Clark now has the, the necklace. He goes over to oh. the Summers house. Oh, go ahead. I want to bring up one more thing, yeah. and that was a line I wanted to call out because I loved it. It was back when uh, Lex was kind of revealing to Harry and Victoria that, well, guess what? Your purchase, hey, well, hey, well, that's not going to work out so well for you, right? Yeah. So in the exchange between Victoria and Lex, she says, we could have been great together. And Lex's response, perfect Lex line, like it's one of those, like I would have highlighted it myself. I love it. I plan on being great all by myself. Like, just the way he delivers that to her is just, like, it's core Lex Luthor, like, boom. It's perfect. I love that line. I love that little exchange. And they even in the reveal of that whole process where right. he's he gets the triple cross, right? He's been double crossed. He triple crosses them right. back, you know. But, but even then, you have to think, that means he was not truthful with Victoria. Like, mm-hmm. he, had, sure. he said one thing, did another. So he's doing to Victoria what Clark's doing to him. So, and he's but he's doing to Victoria what his dad does to him. True, true. But again, his whole thing about Clark is like, I just want you to be honest with me. But Lex can't be honest with his friends, quote unquote friends either. You know, mm-hmm. he has to keep these levels of secrecy. But 
I almost I think that also plays into the fact that like you know with Victoria and and that situation like that's a specific like Luther situation like he knows that that has really at the end of the day to do with business and his parents right, and yeah. his father you know he knows about all that I think what's happening with Clark on the side it is exactly the same situation right you know Lex is not being truthful with Clark about all the things and investigations he's running with Clark but in his mind. It's more about like, I just want my friend to be truthful to me. Right. Like he's not seeing it necessarily in the, this is a really bad sinister thing that I'm doing. And I'm kind of doing this to Clark too. Mm-hmm. Like no. it's uh, more about the way he's just, you know. Yeah. And, and I agree, but Victoria wasn't an uh, innocent party. Like he knew she had ulterior motives. So it's not mm-hmm. exactly the same, but there's a bit of a correlation in he didn't trust Victoria or, cause that's the whole thing him and Victoria, if he had been totally honest, might have still been able to work together. Yeah. But he yeah. pushed her out in favor of his father and all that kind of good stuff. But anyway, so jumping back to the present, Clark goes mm-hmm. to the Eric Summers house. That's where we have car three and four. There are two cop cars. <laughs> One's upside down on fire. The other is thrown through the second story roof and is sticking out the top. And you mentioned it earlier, and I have to concur. I am not sure if that is a physical effect or a matte painting. It could be a matte painting, but part of me thinks... They did that to the house. They like, they actually, you know, they made a little hole. They inserted it. They like made the roof look like it was caved or or starting to cave. Right. Cause you can clearly see light coming through the boards in the roof. But yeah, I'm not sure if that was a physical effect or not. It may have been a matte painting, but if it was, I couldn't tell. Yeah, it was it was good either way. It was an effective Mm -hmm. shot. So cars three and four this episode were destroyed. Um, Eric's dad mentioned something about. Um, Eric, Eric went to get rid of it and there's only one place he could do that. Clark knows that's the dam. He heads there. And as soon as he arrives, it's just, it's like an echo of the opening cold open shot where Eric's standing over the, the dam, except this time Eric just falls on his own volition and basically falls out of screen in the end of the act. Before mm-hmm. we move on, I do want to move back because there is one moment just before all this. Um, it's where after the fight, Eric goes back home again and he has a line, you're my parents, you're supposed to protect me. And that's where he finds out that the cops had actually been called when Eric showed up. And mm-hmm. I think that, again, is once again just the heart of the relationship Eric has with his parents versus It's pounding away. Yeah, it really just it pounds at home, right? I mean, Lord knows they've done enough to do that through this entire episode. But that conflict, the conflict relationship between Eric and his father, for the most part, is really you know, the defining characteristic between how Eric deals with his powers or and how he handles this newfound yep. power. And uh, that whole exchange is, you know, his dad basically, his dad coming at him with a golf club, <laughs> like trying to hold him at bay. Yeah. Right. You know, and I can only imagine if I was in Eric's shoes and having my parents turn on me that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be, a, that would be a life changer. Like it would really, it would break certain parts of me. Like, yep. You know, so it, but it I, also, yeah, it gets to play back to though when Clark also asks his dad, like, you know, were you guys ever afraid of me? Well, I'm pretty sure you know, you're probably Clark never did anything that made Jonathan hold uh, Clark at the end of a pool at a golf club. Like, hey, 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 back off, buddy. Pro- yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, but I I did feel Eric's pain there. Like I thought, again, um, Ashmore, Sean Ashmore does a really good job and I felt his pain and betrayal of you're supposed to protect me, which could also mirror Lionel and Lex, you know, mm-hmm. Lionel manipulating. It wasn't like, you know, physically abusing, but Lionel's definitely emotionally and mentally abused Lex his whole life. 
you know, mm-hmm. so we really have three families that are comparing to each other, uh, and Clark seems to be the only stable one. Oh, let's be fair. Like Lionel Luther basically, uh, you know, verbally and emotionally abuses everybody, everybody. he has a relationship with. <laughs> yes. Like that's just, that is, that is his way. Uh, there isn't a soul that remains in Luther's orbit that is unscathed. Fair by that. enough. Uh, so here we're at the final act, fifth act. Uh, Clark races to the bottom of the dam, finding that Eric has survived the fall. They begin to scuffle, and thanks to the kryptonite necklace and some live power lines, they transfer the powers back. Clark returns Lana's necklace and then walks home alone. So, yeah, we have the inevitable confrontation. And to no one's surprise, Eric survived the fall completely intact without any issues. Uh, his long black trench coat still unscathed. Yes. Um, my only surprise and, is I thought they were going to have him fly. Uh, you know, it, that is my, when I first watched the episode again after so long, that was my take. I thought he was going to drop off and you were going to see him just like, Come right back up to the top of yep. the dam. That was my initial thought. I was like, Eric gets to be the one that's going to fly? That's dumb. Yeah. But yep. luckily that didn't happen. So they go through the, uh, they go through the different, the power swap, obviously the comfort, the confrontation, you know, again, Clark basically giving away that I had these powers, but I, I can't, I won't actually say that I had these powers, but everything I'm saying is leading to the point that <laughs> yes, I had these powers. Uh, I'm familiar with the problems you're going through, mm-hmm. uh, in, in how to deal with them. And then Eric makes a really good point. Clark's like, Oh, you can fix this. And Eric's like, uh, no, I can't. Like <laughs> my parents are still going to be afraid of me. The cops are still after me. Like the girl, I, the, the woman that I wanted to be with is afraid of me now. Like, how am I going to make any of that better? And Eric, you know, you're kind of right again. Uh, kind of something your parent, your dad called out to you earlier in the show that they've alluded to, but never really given any detail to was that at some point you have to start taking responsibility for things that you do Mm -hmm. wrong in your life. Right. Um, and this is, you know, Eric still showing that he's not quite able to do that. He just doesn't have that in him. Isn't it maturity? Yeah, that immaturity. Good point. Uh, and then of course, uh, Eric's complete overreaction, you know, stop talking to me, Clark. I'm going to throw you into a power, into basically a transformer, yeah. you know, a power station. Here's a fence. I'm going to throw you through it because <laughs> instead of just not talking to you and walking away, it makes way more sense if I throw you through something. Throw you through something. Um, uh, he said, there's a line. He goes, nothing on this earth can stop me. Uh, not true. A kryptonite. B Clark can. Mm-hmm. Both of those mm-hmm. things can stop you. Yeah. Yeah. But technically, the kryptonite is on Earth, so it can stop him, right? I mean, that's, you know. Yeah. Clark may have failed, but kryptonite will do the job. Luckily, we had a combination of Clark Kent and kryptonite. And live power. And live electricity. Yeah. And we don't know how much, like, would it would a wall, would it, would just a jolt from, like, a 110 would have done or it? Or just, like, rubbing your your stocking feet against the carpet. Like a little like, static like, jack. Yeah. Like, if somebody's holding kryptonite, <laughs> you get a static electricity. Like, do you get a power transfer? <laughs> or does it have to be, like, does it have to be enough voltage to, like, take out half a city block, yeah. you know? Like, how, how much electricity are we talking here? Again, those are the transitive uh, properties of kryptonite that we do, still do not know the answer to. If I ever get a hold of a piece of kryptonite and, you know, you have powers and we're near each other, we'll have to try the static electricity yeah, trick. That'd works. be fun at parties, right? <laughs> that would be amazing. Because it doesn't appear to really cause anybody pain to get the powers, right? So, yeah. you know, yeah, you get powers, you transfer to me, I do something stupid, I give them back to you, you know. <laughs> it's the perfect crime. Right. Uh, so, apparently, the the power probably went out in like a tri-state area when this happened because uh, a bunch of people showed up. Uh, so we see Eric getting loaded into the back of an ambulance. So, oh, the 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 famous line of someone who is is dying or near death. 
So cold. So so cold. So cold. <laughs> so maybe it was snowing. Uh, so Eric is likely on his way to a hospital. So I am going to count him as being in a hospital because I assume that's where he's going. Uh, we will learn later he ends up in a mental institution uh, mm-hmm. in, mul- in mm-hmm. seasons ahead. But that's a great reveal for a future episode, honestly. Yeah. It, it's it's a good one. It's it's you know there is a that that episode where you get kind of the rogues gallery get comes back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you know, Lex and I is certainly in the, the asylum and we see all the people that Clark's put there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love that that gets played later on. Obviously, that they do that kind of callback episode. It's wonderful to see in a show like this. But then also, again, it's some people you wouldn't have expected to see come back because they were so minor. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the course of Smallville, they are very minor characters, very minor you know interactions with Clark. But almost all of them are from first and second season, and. There's some notable callbacks there. Mm-hmm. And I, hope, I can't wait till you get to that episode. Hopefully we'll get to that episode at some point in the future. Uh, so we have a, a shot of Lex at his mansion where he gets some pictures that show Lionel and Victoria in flagrante. Oh. So apparently, oh. uh, I don't know when this was supposed to happen. My guess is that after she learned that Lionel and Lex were taking over her dad's company, she went to Lionel. Or he came to her, and this was some quid pro quo, I want a part of the company, don't make me a popper situation. But it's definitely gross. Oh, 100% gross. Let's just put this out on the table. Anytime you have a familiar relationship where the father, out of spite, sleeps with the woman that the son was sleeping with, uh, there's no coming back from that. Yeah. Like, there's just, there's no coming back from that. That's just, that is a line that has been crossed that is... Utterly disgusting, gross, and just despicable. Yeah. Um, that's just, and there's already so many bad things happening in the familiar relationship with the Luthers. Anyway, this is just like this is like, and, and the unfortunate thing I'm going to say right now is that over the course of this show, this little dalliance of Luthers with somebody that Lex had a relationship with um, doesn't even enter like bottom five moments of the of the Lionel Lex relationship. Like it's literally a blip in how gross things can get and how bad things will get. But in this case, yeah, super gross. Super like, gross. Uh, and then we get the end of the episode. Clark returns to Lana, gives her the necklace back, but she give but he gives it to her inside the little box that Lex gave him all those episodes ago. That's made out of lead armor. And Lana super selfish move on Clark's part. Yes, it was. And, and Lana says, like, is this your way of telling me I shouldn't be wearing it? Yes. No, this is my way of not dying. Why I hand it to you? <laughs> no, but the answer Clark should have given if he was being honest is yes, yes. This is my way of asking you never to wear the necklace again. Cause it makes me physically ill and I always have to stare at your chest and it makes everybody I want to be close me. to you. I want to be close to you so please leave yeah. it in the box. But but the ultimate ending of that moment is the sometimes you have to let go to move forward. But that makes no sense because Lana does not let go of the talent. She ends up becomes a huge part of her life and she revitalizes it, which is the exact opposite of what they just said. Well, no, and that's a, the exact opposite of a tack that this show takes four years, which is that most of the larger conflicts in the span of Smallville, especially when you look at the trilogy, when you look at Lex, the, the Trinity, I should say not trilogy, when you look at the Trinity of Lex, Clark, and Lana, right? Most of the issues that revolve around them are because they are unable to let go. They are unable to let go of things, whether that is, uh, you know, 
bad relationships or bad experiences or whatever, that whole point of letting go to move forward is lost on the three of them for the majority of the tenor of Smallville as a series. Mm -hmm. Like that's a lesson that Clark teaches her to get a point across because he doesn't want to wear the necklace, but it's certainly not anything that they take to heart because time and time again, they totally forget that lesson. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. It's it's like, it's, it's like, it's lip service at best. Completely true and fair enough. Uh, so we get a final needle drop at the end of the episode. Clark asks Lana if, if she would like a walk home. She has to ask for a rain check because she already made plans for with Whitney. And as this is happening, we get inflatable by Bush Plane with lyrics, So pretty and white when you're faithful. And Lana is in fact wearing a white jacket. So the last shot is actually Clark walking away from Lana alone at night in the cold Vancouver night. Um, one of many walking away from Lana <laughs> shots we end episodes on uh, over the course of, of especially the first few seasons of Smallville. Yes. Uh, so final thoughts on this episode. Well, so again, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I like that you get to see that glimpse of Clark powerless um, and how he deals with the loss of those powers. Um, you know, I, for the most part, I think the Kents handle it pretty well. Uh, in, in trying to teach Clark that the powers are just part of him. They're not him. Um, I like that lesson. I, they do hammer home a number of times in this episode. And again, we go back to nature versus nurture, right? We get to, we get as that visceral glimpse of what would it be like if somebody had Clark's powers and they were a total tool, <laughs> like, you know, and we get to see that unfold. We get to see like the, the negative, like the anti-Clark, right? Almost, I would almost go so far as to call it bizarro. Almost. Uh, but not quite because that'll come up later. Yes. Um, but in this case, yeah, I, I liked the way they played it out. There were things in the episode, like parts of the episode that, again, as you mentioned, uh, things were so compressed that I don't feel like – I feel like if they had gotten a little bit more room to breathe, we would have had gotten a better episode for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And there were some things like, like the – in my opinion, the Lex storyline could have been lost from this episode – given and some of those other things could have been given some room to breathe and we could have had an, another episode that was basically dealing more with like Lex and then Clark, like that whole Lex Clark relationship piece aside. Um, but I, you know, again, good episode overall. I enjoyed this one. I obviously picked this one for a reason. The Ashmars are wonderful. Yeah. They, uh, you know, as far as being actors and being good at their craft, they both bring uh you know a great energy to the table and anytime i get a chance to see an ashmore in something i'm always like hey it's an ashmore <laughs> cuz i never really know which one of them i'm looking at you know they are both identical so unless i see the credits and it says Sean or Aaron i usually don't know which ashmore is playing it but i do know it's an ashmore <laughs> <laughs> nice uh so one of the things that i have hypothesized that the thesis of this show as a whole is the man versus superman and again, I don't take a lot of credit. I don't think this is like a very, uh, you know, like I'm the only one to come up with this. It's pretty well stated. But how would you view this episode in the lens of the thesis of the entire series is man versus Superman? I mean, this is a pretty clear analog, right? I mean, uh, in, in the case of man versus Superman, we literally have the Superman becoming man. Uh, I mean, so I don't know that there is a lot of... Um, there's a lot of soul searching on this particular episode. It's pretty cut and dry how it compares to that thesis. But you get to see that, again, even with all the powers at someone's disposal, it's really the man behind the powers, the man beneath the powers that that really is the measure of who you are. 
and uh, and and who you are is at your core not defined by those things. I, I can, they were pretty clear about that. I would agree. I think this episode, maybe even more so than the pilot, where that thesis is sort of laid out, is a good mm-hmm. example of man versus Superman. We get to see Clark be a man and enjoy that. But the moment that he's needed, powers or not, he steps up. He does what probably mm-hmm. no one else could or would do. And yeah. ultimately, he lives up to his Superman heritage, though that does mean he does not get what he really wants. So, again, the powers don't make Clark. You can't have Superman without the man, which is Clark. So I think this is a great episode for viewing the series as a whole through that lens because it comes up again and again, but not as always as clear as in this episode. All Mm -hmm. right. So with that, what is your pass the torch question for our next co-host? So my pass the torch question is going to be, if someone were to inherit your abilities in an electricity fueled kryptonite episode, what abilities would they get? Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that. I look forward to the answers we get from our next co-host. Uh, of course. So, Michael, we're signing off. So, please go ahead and sign off. Let everybody know where and how they can find more of your work on the internet. Certainly. Again, uh, I'm Michael. Uh, I can be found at, on Twitter at LoserMLW on most of the social networks, Instagram and such, at LoserMLW. Uh, I do – I'm a podcaster. I do some voice acting uh, for some other actual plays and podcasts. Uh, I recently started doing Twitch Sings because, uh, again, it's – as we speak, we're in the middle of, a, you know, a pandemic and quarantine and karaoke really isn't a thing you can easily do anymore. So I started doing uh, Twitch things. So you can find me on Twitch uh, at Loser MLW there as well. Um, so, yeah, you can find me all sorts of places, uh, actual plays, streams. Uh, just look for Loser MLW and I'm pretty sure I'm the only one you'll find. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you once again for being here. Thank you, Michael. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back next season if things continue. Uh, as for me, again, I'm Michael at the RPG Academy. Almost everything I, I do can be found there, excepting for this show, uh, which there is a website, uh, smallvillefarmtofable.com. We have a Twitter handle. We have a Facebook page. And you can email us any comments, questions, concerns to smallvillefancast at gmail.com. I already mentioned our goal to get to 100 and or 150 ratings and reviews, so I'll skip that. And just say to please stay after the credits to hear the scoreboard. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fancast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. Total number of vehicles wrecked, 20, with four coming this episode. Three by Meteor Strike, one by driving into a Meteor Strike Zone, one by driving off a bridge, one due to Bug Swarm, one due to Meteor Freak Attack, which was Bug Boy, one by Pyrokinesis, one hit by Tina as Clark while trying to run down Martha in the Kent truck, one when Clark was tossed onto it by Tina from the barn loft, one when Whitney swerves to Miss Sean and runs off the road, one when Clark throws young Harry across a parking lot onto a car, smashing the roof and blowing out the windows, one, when Jody hits a terribly rendered CGI deer with her car. One, when Clark drops a safe on it from the fifth floor. 
we had uh, one that blows up after being set on fire, one crushed by a falling body, and then the four this episode, one which is flipped side over side by Eric while chasing Brent, another when Clark is thrown onto it by Eric and again blowing out the windows and crushing the hood, and then we have two police cars that are found destroyed, one's on fire and one is thrown through the roof of the house by Eric, though this does happen off screen. Total number of times a person has been knocked unconscious is 20. Lex has now been knocked unconscious four times, one when he drove off a bridge. He was knocked unconscious twice by Jeff Palmer, and he was knocked out by Clark after being mind whammied. Whitney has been knocked out twice, once when he wrecked his truck due to Bug Boy attack, and then again when he was thrown into a horse stall by Bug Boy. Lana has now been knocked unconscious four times. One happens off screen, but we find her in a cocoon. Another, Lana is choked out by Tina, who has shapeshifted as Whitney, and later through asphyxiation from being entombed. And then Lana is also knocked unconscious when she is thrown from her horse. Principal Quan has been knocked unconscious one time from being in a car that was on fire. Clark has now been knocked unconscious twice, once when he's given the deep freeze by Sean Kelvin, and again this episode when he is tossed onto a car by Eric. Martha has been knocked unconscious once when she passed out after being buried in a corn in a silo. Petey has been knocked out once when he was thrown to the floor by Jody. Jody was knocked out by when her greenhouse exploded. Jeff Palmer was knocked unconscious uh, after being thrown into scaffolding while fighting with Clark. And then Kyle Tippett was knocked unconscious twice, once after being knocked back into his trailer by Clark, and then again after being shot by a mind-controlled deputy sheriff. And then the total number of times someone goes to the hospital, seven. One, one, Quan happens off screen. One, young Harry is taken there for observation after Clark throws him into a car. Uh, one, Jody, though it happens off screen. One, Earl, after jittering at the Kent farm. One, Jeff Palmer, after fighting with Clark. One, this episode when Clark is taken to the hospital after his running with Eric. And then later this episode, Eric is being loaded into an ambulance after transferring his powers back to Clark. And the total number of times Clark tells or shows someone other than Lana his abilities remains at 11. We are not counting his not-too-subtle explanation about how he knows how powers works to Eric. So we are not counting that one. And that is the scoreboard.